Good morning, everyone. All right, we got fresh batteries, can preach for a couple hours now. Uh, We're continuing in our series, uh, Becoming Your True Self. Um, So while this message isn't directly tied to truth and reconciliation, I'm struck um, by how important reconciliation is, that it is, it's more than a contemporary buzzword that we talk about. It's actually rooted deep in the gospel, the heart of the gospel. It's not an implication to the gospel. It is the heart of the gospel itself, that God in Jesus Christ is reconciling the world to himself and then reconciling us to each other. So I really appreciate the, uh, our church, the, the awareness, the focus, um, the fundraising efforts, the ministry of Inner Hope. Love to be um, a part of this community. Well, Bob Vila knows houses. The master craftsman and the longtime host of the television show This Old House is widely considered the grandfather of home improvement television. And over the course of his lifetime, he has renovated hundreds and hundreds of homes. And in each episode, uh, Bob tackles one of these homes. They're, They're actually beautiful homes, but they've fallen into a state of disrepair. I look at some of these homes and I go, maybe it needs a coat of paint. But Bob goes into the home and he notices that there is some cracking, some crumbling on a wall. And he peels back the the drywall and discovers that the the support beams, the joists holding up that wall, have, have become infested with termites. And he notices a small leak in the corner of the ceiling, something that you might be tempted to just minimize or ignore, and he goes into the attic and discovers there's a problem with mold that needs to be treated. And he looks at the, the old plumbing, which is starting to corrode, and he has this way of meticulously, thoroughly, patiently renovating homes to be places of beauty and functionality. The homes are beautiful and yet broken. And it strikes me that that's a metaphor, a fitting metaphor for how the scriptures talk about the human condition. Beautiful and broken. Beautiful because we've been created in the image of God. And when we're created, God looks at human beings and said, this is very good. We've been created to reflect his image his character, his nature, to be his ambassadors in the world. But we are broken people. Because sin has entered the world, we are in a place of disrepair. And we have relationships that are crumbling and fractured. And under the surface, perhaps, we have shame, toxic shame that eats away at us. We are beautiful but broken people. And the gospel story, as we've been reminding ourselves, is that God looks at this life, this house of ours, and does not say, let's just destroy it. 
let's bring in the bulldozer and move on. No, he comes in the person of Jesus Christ, the carpenter from Nazareth. The master craftsman comes and begins to do a renewing work, a renovating work in our lives. The Bible tells us that this word, this renovating word, this renovating work might be summarized by the word holiness. Now, holiness is God's restoring or renovating work in our lives, being renovated into the image of Christ and made whole. And this morning, we're going to explore how this how we might be able to grow in holiness and how this connects with shame, how it brings healing to our shame. As you know, we're in this series where we've been exploring how the gospel heals our shame. And if you're new, let's just recap really briefly what shame is. One of the stickiest definitions is that it's a feeling of not enoughness. And so through this series, it might be helpful for you to fill in the blank for your own life. Where is it that you don't feel enough? I am not successful enough. I am not smart enough. I am not attractive enough. I am not thin enough. I am not a good enough spouse or parent. My career is not enough. Just to fill in that blank for yourself as we go through this series. And could it be that that is precisely the place where God wants to meet you and and speak to you and bring healing into that place of not enoughness? So this morning, briefly, I want to look in this message at how growing in shame, sorry, growing in holiness can heal our shame. And I think this happens in two ways. First, we, we grow, uh, we heal our shame as we receive the gift of holiness. And then second, as we pursue the call to holiness. So first, I want to look at how God heals our shame when we receive the gift of holiness. How does God, the master craftsman in our life, begin to renovate us? Well, he starts with the very foundation In Colossians 1, we read this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior... But now he has reconciled you, there's that word again, by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Once again, that last part. Because of his physical death on the cross, Christ presents you holy in his sight without blemish, and free from accusation. So the foundation of holiness is a gift that is being offered to you. A gift that is being freely offered to you. I know today you may not feel holy. Uh, You may not 
you may not even be comfortable with that term. I mean, no one walks around and says, uh, you know, how are you? I'm feeling very holy today. If they do that, you want to back up a few steps. You probably don't trust them. It's one thing to call yourself holy, but it's another thing when the scriptures tell us that this is how God sees you because of the work of Christ. Something has happened that changes your status and your standing before God such that when he looks upon you, he declares you holy and blameless in his sight. Now, why is this healing for our shame? Because shame is often fueled when we feel that we have lost standing or status in the eyes of others, especially people we respect. And here, the foundation of God's renovation of our lives is that he declares you holy. So the question is, do you see yourself the same way that God sees you? Now, David Benner is a respected author and psychologist, written a number of books. I commend him to you. In, in his book, Surrender to Love, he says that often when he meets with individuals, he asks them this question. He says, what comes to mind when God thinks about you? And he says that most people believe that when God thinks of them, God is disappointed. Some people think that God is angry with them, but most people that God is disappointed, as if he's looking at us and saying, man, I wish they could just get it together already. They could clean up the mess of their lives and get on with it. And Benner goes on to say that if that's how you believe God sees you, that has enormous implications for your spiritual life. You will never be able to enjoy a relationship with God if you feel that he's always disappointed with you. I was thinking about this week, and I thought some of us are tempted to see God as Judge Judy. Now, I, I don't really watch this show. I've seen it a few times. Um, and being a judge is a hard job. So, uh, and I don't know how much of this is just put on for TV. But when I've watched Judge Judy, she has a certain disdain for people while she sits and listens to them. Have you, have you noticed this? She frowns. And she's got this look of disdain and scorn as people are talking. It's, it's not uncommon for Judge Judy to roll her eyes at the defendant as they try to explain themselves. And I, I wonder, friends, if at some level this is our picture and our image of God, is that he is primarily disappointed with us. Or... Do we let go of that image and recognize the truth of Scripture and the foundation of holiness is that God actually takes delight in us? That as David Benner says, when God thinks of you, love swells in his heart, a smile comes to his face. God's bias toward us is strong, persistent, and positive. If God sees us as holy, do, do you see yourself the same way that God sees you? 
And how might that bring healing to our feelings of not being enough? I'm, I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not disciplined enough in my spiritual practices. That, that may be our feelings. But, but to enter into this being our true selves, we remember this is the truth of how God sees us. That he, he takes our sin upon himself and instead clothes us in righteousness. That was this great picture of this about three or four weeks ago as our very own Jordan Jarvis got baptized. And uh, I, was, I was struck as I was uh, there at the baptism that Jordan went into the water. He had dark clothing on when he went into the water. Um, and, uh, we, you know, he got baptized and we cheered and we celebrated and then we were visiting. And I turned around and Jordan was dressed in all white. He looked like an angel in that moment. Um, I like the hands in the pockets in both, in both pictures. Uh, but anyway, um, I, it's this beautiful picture of, of ex- an exchange that happens. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are clothed in righteousness and declared holy. So first... We receive and believe the gift of holiness. And second, our shame is healed when we pursue a call to holiness. We we receive a gift of holiness, but then we're called to live it out, to live out the implications of that. In Romans 12, we read, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... In view of the good news that we just talked about, in light of that, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So to, to participate in God's renewing project, his renovation of our lives, we, we offer and give consent to him to come into every room of our life, every relationship, and we say, I present this and offer this to you, God, to come and for you to do your renovating work. Notice that in Romans 12, in order to live out and to pursue holiness, he does not give us a list of rules. That's a common understanding of holiness. Holiness is some kind of purity list that we walk through and we check off, I don't do this, I don't do this, I do this, I do this, I don't do this. That's not a biblical view of holiness. The biblical view of holiness is that God first comes in and declares and makes us holy, and then the right doing flows out of the right being. One of the ways that we can do this, if we can get a little bit more practical here, to offer everything to God, is to consider the parts of our lives that are hidden, that we would rather not share with God and with others. Like the picture of 
the craftsman, the renovator coming into our home and us closing certain doors and say, no, you don't need to go in there. Nothing to see there. Because we all have presentable parts of our lives that we share and we all have hidden parts of our lives that we, we don't want to share. So could offering everything to God be to consider what are those hidden places that I don't want to share because frankly I, feel, I will feel judged I may be rejected. You know, this might be a, 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 a trivial story, uh, a metaphor, but when I was 11 or 12 years old, I, I grew up playing hockey. When I couldn't get on the ice for hockey, I would practice my shot, my slap shot, against our garage door, much to the chagrin of my parents and neighbors, no doubt. And our, our garage was at the front of the house, so we had our garage door, and then we had our living room with these large, large bay windows facing out. And every day I would go out there and I would practice my shot, and I had a, a really heavy shot, but not the most accurate, and perhaps you can see where this is going. And one day, I don't know if it was the curve on my stick, the shot went a little off where I wanted to, and it went right through the living room bay window and smashed it to pieces. And as a mature 11 or 12-year-old, I thought the best way to deal with this, no one was home at the time, would just be to pretend it never happened. And I put my stick away, I went up to my room, and started doing homework. French homework. The one and only time I ever did French homework on a Saturday afternoon. There should be a clue. I was hiding something. And my plan was that when my parents came home, I would just go, wow, what happened? I probably should have taken the puck out of the living room first before I carried through with that plan. But I was thinking about this nature that we all have to hide. In the midst of brokenness, we, we want to hide, don't we? This is one of the effects of shame. What are the things in your life that you don't want to deal with? And maybe it's just easier to hide those things. Hide them from God. Hide them from others. Could it be that that, that is the place that Christ wants to come and do his renovating work, his healing work? Max Lucado is a, a well-known pastor and author. He has a thriving ministry in a church in, um, in San Antonio, Texas. He sold something like 140 million books. He's a brilliant person, respected author. Some of you I know have read some of his books. And he tells a story uh, that several years ago, he was sort of in the height of his ministry and everything was going well. The church was bursting at the seams. They had no debt. Uh, many, may, he had many book offers on the table. Uh, his ministry was expanding into video teaching and all these types of things. And he said everything was going so well, but he was struggling immensely with the stress of it all. And he said, how do I handle the stress? How do I take the edge off? I did what came naturally to me. I started drinking. And he describes how at late at night he would drive across town, all the way across town, as far away from his church as he could. 
And he would go in and he would purchase alcohol and he'd put it in a brown paper bag and he would go out to the dark parking lot and he would sit there and he would drink. And he remembers rationalizing that to himself, saying, there's nothing wrong with drinking. It's okay. I'm not indulging, so on and so forth. I've got this under control. I'm managing this. It's fine. He says one night he just heard a little whisper that he believed was the Holy Spirit. And he said, "If, if you're fine, why are you sitting in a car on the other side of town secretly drinking this? And he just said that that question bothered him. If, if everything was fine and I was managing everything, why is this secret and hidden? And he said that as a result, he came back and shared this with a number of friends, with the elders of his church, and they surrounded him and prayed for him and talked about what, are the, what, are, what is the inordinate stress that you're dealing with such that we can support you. He received healing, a place where shame could have grown and fostered and, and, and been fueled, and yet he received healing in that place. What might be an area of your life where God wants to renovate, a room that you would keep the door shut, hidden, but perhaps this morning, just ever so gently, the Lord is knocking at that door and saying, would you allow me to come in and meet you in this very place? And the second thing which is related is that our place of pain and powerlessness may be precisely the place that God wants to renovate. It could be places of hiddenness, but it could be any place or relationship in your life that feels painful, where you feel a sense of powerlessness. You know, a funny thing happens when you're preaching on certain texts is after a while, the text starts to speak to you. And situations in your own life start crowding in, and it becomes a place of renovation for the speaker as well. And as I was reflecting on these themes this week of where God wants to renovate, I thought of a relationship in my own life. Somebody I cared deeply about, a friend. And in the last two or three years, I've recognized that this friend is making choices which are are not very healthy. And I've tried everything to encourage, to love, to support, to help my friend reconsider the choices that they are making. And nothing seems to have worked. I long to see change in their life, but they don't long to see it. And many times I have felt powerless in this place. Frankly, I've thought of trying to distance myself and just back up, but I'm too close and I I can't do that. And one day I was reflecting on this with a counselor, and after about 10 minutes, the counselor stopped me and said, okay, I, I clearly hear that you want to change this other person. You wish they did this and this and this. I hear that. But why don't we talk about you? Why don't we talk about what's happening inside you? Why don't we talk about what's triggering in you and, and what work might need to be done inside you? And in that moment, I thought, could this be a place, God, that you want to meet me and, and do your renovating work in me? I want God to solve the problem. 
I want God to fix the problem. And it could, could it be that sometimes God says, Let's, let me into that room of your life and let me, let me meet you precisely in that place of pain and powerlessness. What might be that place for you? I want to conclude before we go to the table with a quote which helps get to the bottom of why does this even matter? Why is God renovating our lives? Why? C.S. Lewis put it this way. Imagine yourself as a living house. We've been doing that all sermon. God comes in to rebuild that house. And at first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing up a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up the towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in in it himself. The reason that we consent to God's renovating work in us is because he has come to live in us to restore in us our true selves, to restore in us the beauty of the image of God. May we be people, may we be people who welcome the master craftsman into every area of our life and consent to his renovating work of holiness. Let's pray. Living God, we just take a moment to pause and reflect. And by your spirit, we ask you to connect these big ideas with our own lives and stories. Where is it that we're tempted to hide? Where is it that we're tempted to feel shame that we we're, we're a disappointment to you. What, what are places of pain and powerlessness that you are wanting to come and heal? Let's just take a moment to listen to how God might speak to you now. So God of all beauty and God of all renewal, God of all renovation, come and do your work in us, we pray in Christ's name.